Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Psychovetical Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Kirkpatrick. Uh, this week we have a interview. I have an interview with a friend of mine, Pete Rhodes, who is a, a retired retired big wall climber and is uh, a is a kind of a high achiever. Uh, he's currently uh, building a building a boat to try and row across the. The North Atlantic, and I've been wanting to interview Pete for a long time because he he sort of typifies this someone who can take on sort of big big projects like one one after the other, and is a, a very interesting uh, very interesting character. He lives up in in Scotland, up near Aberdeen. Now I've been trying to interview 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 him for a long time because he lives in the middle of nowhere, and I've been living in the middle of nowhere, and. Uh, it's kind of struggling. Like anybody who's watching any of these uh, videos on the news at the moment, where people are skyping people and things, uh, it's not the technology is still not quite there. So we I interviewed more over Skype, and I don't. I'm very I have very limited amount of equipment here to try and do that properly, and I'm kind of learning as I go along. So it is it is what it is. If you, if it's no good, it's no good. Uh, I did have a I did have a someone email me this morning. I sent me a message that. The last podcast I did, the first twenty minutes were dreadful. Now I'm not sure why. I actually went back and le- listened to the last twenty minutes, and the the sound the sound was okay, but maybe the content. Um, uh, like I think I think anyone who comes along to listen to my uh, podcasts, uh, they they might be they might you know if they think it's going to be like an, a a normal you know someone talking about rock boots and what kind of laces to buy and in how many pull-ups to do and sets and dead hangs, then it's they're basically coming to the wrong place. So this is this this podcast is, you know, if if we're lucky, it might involve some some something to do with climbing. But really, it's uh, like this is this is my this is the, this is uh, taking time out of my life to sit here and and rub it on. Like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna just talk about stuff I've got no interest in. So if people are offended by the things I talk about, then they can just uh, fuck off. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh um and uh but talking about put investing my time for free into <laughs> for people and not being taken not being appreciated uh I will be doing another um talk this week another talk on Wednesday night uh, like last week I did the Denali Denali winter talk which although I had like a lot of problems I literally Five minutes before I was going to start, my microphone just would not would not connect, but with the computer, and I was using this OBS uh, streaming software, which I've uh, you know it's only the second time I've used it, and the slides were 
not the right size. It was just a, it was just like a disaster. And uh, but for some reason, people really enjoyed it. So I had a thank you for all the people who who gave me positive feedback. That's always and the what the one person who didn't. Uh, there's uh, I always say like to people, I'll send you a refund. You know, <laughs> so you spend half the day trying to get your slides together for this this slideshow, and then you know instead of sitting with your wife watching Netflix, you're sat stressing out trying to get this OBS software to, to you know to work, and then some assholes like. Oh, that was rubbish. Anyway, so anyway, that's I guess that's people for you. Uh, people are hell. So I'm going to be doing another one this week to try, and I'm going to do it at eight p.m. Dublin time. Eight p.m. Dublin time. I did say GMT, which I thought was you know Greenwich Mean Time, which which apparently it is. Uh, my son, my son thought it was Greenland time, uh, but he's not really. It's like me; he's not really good at reading or noticing these things. So. <laughs> so we uh I, I didn't realize daylight saving time was uh eight o'clock here is actually eight o'clock um somewhere else a friend of mine he once went to once went to south africa and they and everything was a disaster and everything was like no one no one was on time and people were always late everything they did people were always late and they were like you know um t- um t- 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 like this is africa and you know oh, TIA, TIA, all this kind of stuff. Anyway, it was only when they were going to the airport to leave that they realised the time was different, and they'd been like, they'd been the watches were like an hour ahead of everybody else's. So actually, everyone was on time or early, and didn't realise it. So, um, so yeah, so that's so I'll be doing. I'm talking about my first sort of forays into winter alpine climbing, uh, leading up to my epic ascent of the of the friend or spare, uh, where all sorts of epic things happened. So. I hope uh, uh, people uh, join me there. I think I was I was saying last time I said that if anyone's got any comments in the chat, then please put them in there and I'll try and answer them at the end. And uh, I think I was just like so frazzled and stressed out by trying to run the OBS thing that I didn't manage it. So uh, and the the unfortunately the podcast the 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 Denali slideshow because it's part of a tour and because it wasn't really up to scratch you know it was you just kind of i've got no you just kind of i've not really done that talk before so i'm just trying i'm just like talking about it it's not like a a proper sort of slideshow is it's like not it's not on there it's not it's not up on youtube anymore um because it's you know anyway (laughs) probably like this podcast so 8 8 p.m dublin time youtube live uh wednesday so in, 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 hope you can uh, join me there and uh so i'll i'll crack on with this uh skype recording it's there's a, there's a break in the middle because uh, it just stopped working uh hopefully you won't you won't notice it and the audio quality is skype um but i think if you like hang hang on in there and listen like i probably talk too much i do apologize and uh, the sound you might I'm a bit louder than he is but anyway you're all you're 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 tough individuals I'm sure you can you know I'm not bloody Brian Eno like I hope I hope you can uh, appreciate is is what it is anyway uh, see you on Wednesday every day is like we're, we're sat here watching that that Mrs Peregrine's House of Disturbed Children film have you ever seen that no I've not seen that one. but it's like it's like the most like it's supposed to be a kids' film, I think, but it's it's like her- horrific. It's got like people eating children's eyes and things, and uh, but it's this 
they're living in this world where every day is the same. You know, at the end of the, yeah. the end of the day, they turn back the clock and they begin again. And it's a little bit like that uh, for everybody at the moment. It's like Groundhog Groundhog Day, but not in a not in a good way, really. <laughs> I don't think he was happy with it. Yeah, it's odd. Like I'm off. I'm furloughed from work, so it is. It's we're just in the garden until yeah. the notice. All right. Remember someone telling me that I met someone who lived in East Germany and he said how people were um, like really promiscuous. Like you would just go, you'd go and get the bus and this woman would be on the bus stop and say, like, do you want to have, do you want to have sex? And you go, okay, then you go and have sex with somebody because there was nothing to do. Like life, life was uh, so boring and there's nothing ever happened. And this was before Netflix. So, right, so right. if they had Netflix, like in the Soviet Union, maybe things would have worked out. Much better, like comrade. Did you see? <laughs> do you see the cat, the Tiger King last night? It's so good, you know. Do you want to have sex? No, no. I'm watching Mad Men series series two. So, uh, <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of surreal, isn't it? It's very strange. It is. It's yeah, but no, we're getting on. It took a few weeks to get used to it. Yeah, you're not like killed any any of your family or anything. No, or... no. There's enough that you can choose the ones that aren't winding you up in this house. <laughs> so. how, how many? How many? How many people in your house? Well, there's four children. Um, so we've got an, four children. A, 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 a eight-year-old, a six, a four, and a two. Yeah. Oh wow. And six then... four, six four, two, six. Yeah. God. Yeah. So that's quite that's quite a lot of kids, isn't it? It's just right. It's two more, two two more than you meant to have. Like you've got, you're only allowed oh, to have two. I know, yeah. Child benefit told us that. Yeah. <laughs> we can, uh, no, and we love it. It's you know, never have more kids. That you can never have more than two kids because there's only ever, um, there's only ever four seats in a McDonald's. So that's, yeah, we, that's, we end up on the bench. Yeah, so one of those bench bench families there. Yeah, oh, yeah, the one right by the toilet. <laughs> so it's, uh, I don't know. It just happened. We just two was easy. I think. Yeah. We quite like them all, so it's grand. It's good to you know when you say, um, you know, if you've got two kids, I used to say like, I've got, I've got uh, three kids, one of each, and uh, in America, you can always tell if someone's listening to you because they would say, oh great, oh good, good, or whatever. <laughs> you know? And then in America, they'd be like, what, what? You could three kids, one of each. Then they would like it would you know because the, the old joke was I've got a boy a girl and a hairdresser, that was like a nineteen seventies kind of joke. Can't say that anymore. But, no, so but now you could say I've got a boy a girl and uh, undecided. So it's yeah. it's kind of come come full come full circle now. So it's kind no, of good. We haven't gone down that route. We're all pretty safe. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it. it. Nothing wrong with it. You know, no, no, kids, I'm not it you is. know, no, I know you live in Scotland. <laughs> you know, they're very uh, you know backward up there. No, no. <laughs> just the right side of comfortable. Yeah. yeah. Are you, are you, do you, so you live up in the Aberdeen? Yeah, just sort of thirty minutes outside Aberdeen, towards the. All oh, right. Yeah. So, so that's just, good. Like... We came up what six years ago. Yeah. Just for work, because I I do rope access, or I've done rope access the last fifteen years. Yeah. So it's, this is where it used to pay, but now it's starting to ebb and flow a little bit. Yeah, boom and bust. Mm, yes, it's uh, so not as it's a wild industry, and then it it's had another bust lining up with this thing that the oil price yeah. kind of got as this came in. So it's it's chaos up here. Yeah, yeah. We shall see what the rest of the year brings. Yeah, yeah it's kind of weird when you got 
when you got kids, you know, when you see like my daughter, like yesterday, she got like a first in maths, wow. you know, from from Leeds University. But you think like, what, what, kind of what good is it? You know, like, like it's about the. Well, I did economics. I think it's my help. <laughs> now I abseil on. Well, now I write procedures for people to abseil on buildings. So. <laughs> uh, it doesn't have to relate. It just it makes you. It, university degree just helps you grow up. Just helps you learn to argue properly. Yeah, well, at least too much of that already. Well, not yeah, not arguing the argument. <laughs> at least stand by what you understand. Yeah. yeah, it's arbitrary. You can do whatever you like after it. Yeah, yeah. My cousin, my cousin's a professor, and he when he was at school, like one day the head headmaster came up and you know intentionally found his mum and and told like my auntie like your son is never going to amount to anything. You know, like he's totally out of control. He's like crazy person anyway so you know 30 years later he's like a professor of economics um and uh, but i often i often think when i think about the two of us we both have these completely different lives you know i have no qualifications in anything whatsoever you know and he you know we see the world in such a different in a different yeah. way and i wonder if like how is how you bring your kids up you know how they're practical how they can you know how resilient they are or um you know, how they can cope with all with adversity and things seems to be quite an important skill these days. Yeah. Yeah, we're definitely conscious of it. But um yeah, whether you can actually teach it or not, I don't know. I think you have to have experienced it first. Yeah. Like, neglect. I think neglect's well, the key, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Not I'm not sure what the modern word is for that. No, it's like <laughs> it's semi feral, isn't it? You've got to let them go for it. Yeah, so that's. I guess that's why we do all this stuff we do. Is that you try and show them you can do it and everything else, and then you what die? Yeah, and that you choose the harder stuff, don't you? you? There's something about the satisfaction. It's like a grim satisfaction. That's all we're aiming for in this world. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> I'm just trying to make it through to the end. That's all I. Ca- I, don't, yeah. I don't really care. Well, uh, yeah, you say that. But... It's almost like you know, like if you. You're trying to get through life, and there's, you know, like in a film where there's a, you know, you know, you're just like pushing around the way to get, you know, to get to the exit, you know, like, you know, people like hanging on you, like he knows where he's yeah. going. He's like, no, no, I don't. Yeah, definitely don't know where we're going. Don't look, don't look for me for any advice. No, I know. Yeah, <laughs> the people like because this row is probably the most public thing I've ever done, or it seems to have, you've had because it's funded. You have to make it public, and they're like, I've never really talked about stuff I've done. And people come up to you with weird questions and assume that what you say is sage advice because you're capable of attempting this thing. So <laughs> well, so we'll, so I'll just, so this is, this is, uh, hi, hello, this is the podcast. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so, someone, I get all these because I keep joking about how I ramble on in these podcasts. And I'm really conscious of it. And then, but people always email me going like, "Oh no, the rambling's the only good bit. Like the other bits, the other rest yeah. of shit or whatever." So, so, <laughs> so, so, so here, so, so this evening, um, I'm talking to uh, to Pete Rhodes, the famous, the famous Pete Rhodes, uh, oh, yeah. and um, and uh, so I've known Pete. I've kind, of, I've actually ever physically met each other. Or, yes. 
Yeah, we met at Kendall or something. At Kendall and at an Outkit festival where we were both teaching aid climbing classes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have we have I I've got to the age now where I, where I have, I have trouble remembering not only names but people I've actually I've, I've ever That's met right. you before. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> so um so 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 Pete in a former life he might still be in his in his current yeah. life. He was a, a, a climbing uh, climbing person, big wall climber, uh, all this kind of stuff. And so, so we we had this plan at one time to go and try and the, climb the troll wall together, didn't we? And yeah. then I think we had like it was a very it was a very loose plan. We hadn't, we hadn't bought any tickets. <laughs> yeah. No. And then the next minute, Pete was like, "I've decided to go by myself." I was like, "Oh God, that's a bit of a you know." It's like I've met someone else myself. So so Pete. Went off with himself to. Uh, I think it was it was it in the winter time or was yeah, it? Yeah, I went time? to try and get the first winter ascent of that. What was it called? It's Sussiguri Harryland, or it's called. That's the badger. So yeah. it hadn't been done in winter, so I went out for the end of the winter season in. I don't know, two thousand and ten, eleven, eleven. And when I got there, there's that car park at the bottom. I pulled into the car park about 11 o'clock and there was a sign, there's an illuminated sign that tells you the time and the temperature. And it flicked through to the temperature and it said one degree Celsius, like plus yeah. one. So I was like, oh no, that must be bust. Like, I'm in Norway in the middle of February, it's not one degree. So I went to sleep in the van and got up, like, and it was about eight degrees in the day. So I'd gone hoping this thing would be frozen solid and not coming down in chunks. <laughs> crossed the railway and walked up the out the woods and the whole of the base was just avalanche debris yeah base had just stripped clean so i went and touched it and came home <laughs> did, some, did some guys not come and tell you oh there's something weird thing on uk climbing was like oh there's an english man and he's yeah, like in cool. norway trying to solo the troll wall and it was like who who is he who it was like a weird uh a weird kind of thing wasn't it yeah so i met odd wilt who was yeah 10 years ago he was very keen and capable i think he lives in the area and a couple of other guys who were actually keen and just chatting um and the police came over and said they'd look after the van but yeah i think <laughs> very norwegian classic. yeah um but i just wasn't going to touch it when it was hot yeah i wanted the whole reason i went in february was so it might have been a little bit more stuck together yeah yeah so that was yeah that was a nice week driving to norway and back <laughs> i remember when i went when i went to try and solo troll wall i remember thinking I'm driving all this way. I'm either going to kill myself. I'm either going to. I'm not going to come back unless I'm either dead or I've or I've done it. And unfortunately, I, I didn't manage to do both. So, yeah. but uh, <laughs> but it's a it's a hell of a long way to drive, isn't it? It's not like oh, popping pop, pop into like I'm going to go down to Devon and uh, oh it's raining. I'll drive all the way back. It's a uh, yeah, it's a hellish place to drive. Definitely the most galling turnaround I've ever made. Yeah, because, but then yeah. but I remember. I remember I can't remember his name now, but I, I was at a, a gig somewhere and this guy turned up um, who is, um, this is the thing where I can't remember people's names, but he, you know, he tried to solo the Swedish route and he got hit by loads of rocks and he ended up being quadriplegic. And, you know, when a guy turns up in a wheelchair who literally can't move anything, who was trying to solo the troll wall, you know, yeah. it, it puts into perspective really like how ridiculous it is, those kind of, yeah. you no, know. It's a funny one, isn't it? Like, I don't know why it appealed. You get sucked down funny routes, don't you? Because we'd had those two seasons in Patagonia that we did, and then we came back, and I soloed the scoop on Harris. Oh, yeah. And then I was like, oh, I'm really good at choss now, because I've done one <laughs> choss pile. 
what else can I go and aid that's choss and maybe find something that someone will give us a few quid for. And that was <laughs> that was the biggest pile of choss in Europe. So I went for that. <laughs> maybe in the world. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. So, yeah, it's a funny old progression, but you just sort of go with it. Well, you see, it the, the, time. the trouble seems to attract weird, weird people, I think. Yeah. But so does aid climbing. If you go aid climbing and then winter aid climbing and then loose winter aid climbing, you're not going to yeah. get many normals. It's very, it's more like caving, I think. Yeah, I did yeah. a bit of caving recently. Well, not recently, a few years ago. I got really into it for like a year. Yeah, it's great. Oh, it's real. That's that's real adventure. Like, <laughs> so good. I'm not yeah. the right size for it. it turns out. Yeah, just it takes some more dynamite. Yeah, because I think I think that's the thing people often don't understand in climbing. So. You know, I often have some uh, argy-bargy with, like, James McAfee. But I, but I often say to, like, James, like, what I do is not that I'm, like, a cave diver and you're a surfer. Like, there's no way you can ever, you know, be slagging me off what I do. Like, you don't, you've got no idea what I do, you know. And I've got real, I've got a bit of an idea what you do because I kind of do a bit of it. But you have no idea what I do. Like, you you have to go and get on some chossy A5, whatever, on your, yeah. on your sky hooks, and then you might... You know, so I think there's a it's a it's a it is a weird thing, but it definitely definitely attracts weird weird kind of characters and things. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know whether how weird I come across it or someone else. <laughs> but did it so that did that did driving all the way back from Norway, did that was that like a turning point in your climbing <laughs> life, do you think? Um well that I think after that I then went to the valley in the spring. I'm trying to get my it wasn't long after that that I basically stopped cold turkey. I don't yeah. think that was the beginning of the end. I couldn't tell. I lose track. It's, that's nearly 10. Well, it's not 10. It's eight, nine years ago now. Um, yeah. we, I think we had a Dolomites trip after that, which was really good. Just like social, easier routes. And then I went to the valley again, just for like two and a half weeks or something. A quick trip assuming it would just be another normal valley trip and had decent plans and got there and i took my brother so we did half him in a day to warm up because he bless him he's not a climber but he's every time he ties in he's fine yeah so you, th this year's route was half him in a day um, <laughs> and we got we just got up to the into the chimney out the top of the chimneys and I was just going up this fist crack, and I can remember the jam, and put this fist jam in, and I was like, that's enough. There's some, yeah. there's some switch, like, it was like a light bulb, and that was that. Like, I was like, I've done done enough of this. Yeah. Um, and then lightning hit the top of half dome when we were on it, so we bailed, because there was rocks coming down the, all the cracks in the chimney. Yeah. But by the time that grim abseiling with a punter was done, I was, I was cooked. The thr was thrill done. was gone. Yeah, I don't. It was like literally like a switch, and uh, that was that. I've tied in about four times the last eight years. Yeah. Oh wow. Was it like falling falling out of love with somebody? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't cross or sad about it. I was just like that's. I just there's something. I think now looking back at it, I think I need like a depth of like well with this new project which will. Do you want me to introduce a new project and then tell you why I think I'm doing it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, go on then. Yeah. So the current plan, and there's been a few. So I quit, basically quit climbing eight years ago, cold turkey, and then I've looked for ways to fill the gap. And so basically I've done something every year 
that's filled a year, but it's not really been climbing's got such a depth and breadth to it that you can spend every minute of every hour thinking about what you're doing and which route you're going and which trip you're planning and you know thinking about knots and systems and all the rest of it and it just seemed to fill my mind and then it didn't which i think i got to the point where the learning curve had flattened and i was just sort of repeating what i knew and so that might be the reason i stopped and then these simpler things i've chosen they filled like six months and then you sort of get again it's it's an addiction to the steep side of the learning curve i think and so um well, so here's the full background. I'm gonna I'm gonna ramble now, and you can, <laughs> they can complain about me. Um, so two years ago, our fourth child was born, and a week after he was born, he got really poorly really quickly, um, and we rushed him to the hospital, which is about 45 minutes away. And when he got into the emergency room, he was 32 degrees, and he was grey from the chest down. Um, so they did all sorts of incredible stuff. They flew him to Glasgow. And within 24 hours, he'd had heart surgery to cut a section of his aorta out that closed off. So he basically wasn't getting any blood below his heart. Right. And he was he was like half an hour away from not making it, basically, when we got there. So we they were amazing. He was fixed. If, he, if you're going to get heart surgery, that's the one to get, because he was under for 40 minutes. They chopped out a section of his heart, of his aorta, sewed it back together while it was running. And then in a week, we were home. And this is on a seven-day-old baby, so five-pound baby. Wow. It's, it's astounding. So it took us a while to get over that, or we felt like it did, and sort of process it and with a baby, obviously. And then we were watching Netflix, as you do, as we've discussed. Um, and there's a documentary about four girls that rode the Pacific. Oh, yeah, good documentary, that. Yeah. yeah. So at the end of that, I just turned to Kate, and I was like, oh, that looks pretty cruiser. I was like, I reckon I could have that. And she's like, well, go on then. So we, it went like that. And so I took that and ran with it because you don't get those sorts of permission slips every day. And then because we had, and it'll sound a bit awful, but we've got like the X Factor story. We finally had a cause to raise money for because of what they did to Cedar. Um, and that sort of X Factor spin lets you go out because ocean rowing isn't cheap compared to like, flying to the valley for a month which is really cheap an ocean rowboat isn't cheap so you have to go out and i've never done the corporate sponsored drive and go and asking or begging for money that i knew that would be the crux but because we had this story i could spin it up so everything I, 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 i'll have to interject here because anyone listening to this is like oh christ here's one of these like posh posh blokes who's like um he was like, oh, yes, I wanted to sail around the world and I was trying to save up money. But luckily, the day before I went, my 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 friend had a boat. He was, you know, like a luxury yacht and he lent it to me. But <laughs> so right. I should, should point out that you actually built you've actually built yeah. your own boat. So because you're going asking for commercial money and you see ocean rowing now is coming that most people have at least heard of someone that's might have rowed the Atlantic. And Ben Fogel did it 15 years ago or whatever. So it's done. The standard ocean rowing trip costs you about £120,000 because you have to go and buy one of these boats from one or two manufacturers. And then the classic route is to do the race across the Atlantic and the entry fee alone is £25,000. So it, the cost spiral. And I wasn't going to go. What I find galling about those sorts of people, not people, those sorts of undertakings is that 
you go and ask for a hundred grand of corporate money and you get it because you're shiny and capable but then you give 15 grand to charity at the end yeah you burn 85 grand into your like a, like a sponsored parachute yeah like so i couldn't do that so i was like right how can i make sure i'm net gate like zero sum cost so i've raised well the boat if you go and buy a commercial boat it cost you about 80 grand so i couldn't do that so the parts of my boat cost about 20,000 and then so basically my labor fills that gap so if i can sell it for more than it cost then not only do we reclaim all the corporate sponsorship to give to the hospital but we might even make more than it did does that make sense yeah yeah so i'm not i couldn't face the idea of burning 40 grand of someone's cash just for me to have a nice couple of months on the sea but if i can raise even more than the total that i've gone out and got by flogging selling the boat at the end then that seems fair to me so I've raised double or whatever yeah and then so that's my our investment because it's as much kate's time as it was mine to build the thing um that's our investment our donation once we sell it is the time that we spent to put the value into the boat so so what's so a few reasons i wanted to talk to you because people like you know climbers are very extremist like oh god the podcast about a row eggs what's that got to do with climbing <laughs> but I'm, I'm very interested in uh, well first of all there's a, there's a big psychological thing here about what you're about to do mm. and because you're doing this by yourself yeah, yeah. absolutely and, but also this idea of taking on like this massive project to build a boat because you know even just a gun you know off the shelf boat get someone to build it for you it's you know it's quite a big it's quite a big deal but yeah. the um, so like I so I'm trying to finish this book and it's been like a, I realise I'm I'm actually a year late now, but it's ended up being this this crazy project. Uh, yeah. It just literally is. Like I always say that when I write a book, it's like squeezing your it's like squeezing your brain, getting all the information out. But this is just to, to be like the nth degree of that. So 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 I was very when you were talk when I've been watching you building your boat on Instagram, I've been thinking that. Christ, at least at the end of when I finish this book, I just sell it. You know, but we, you've actually got to sit in it and row across yeah. the Atlantic. So, 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 first of all, did you do you have any experience of building boats? Yeah, I do now. Yeah, yeah. I've got an ocean <laughs> uh, no, so no, I don't. I built our camper van. Um, all right. And I'd consider myself handy, yeah. if not uh, classically trained. Um, so that was that was one of the things of what I was talking about, like this project seemed the right size for me because there was so much to learn. So I can spend every hour, like I commute for an hour and a half every day and we've got an hour at lunchtime and any point where my brain isn't fully engaged, it gives me like a hundred problems to think through and solve and learn about. So that's why this appealed because I've, no, I knew it was a massive undertaking. Like, I've never done any fiberglass before. Um, I've never, I've only had a handful of days out in boats. Like, that side of it, absolutely. Do you get seasick? I don't know. We'll find that out. <laughs> Everyone gets seasick, I think. It's how long you're seasick for is the query. <laughs> That's to be discerned. So, someone once told me that if you ever, ever want to row the Atlantic, you should just go to the Canaries. And just wait there, and when people set off on the when they've paid this hundred grand, 
yeah. often on the on day one they can't do it and they have to come back again and then they oh, need to right. swap that yeah. person out and they're like <laughs> look the free trip to go across the atlantic do you want to come and like go on then i'll get on it and they'll... so that's one way of doing it <laughs> all right yeah i could maybe get a dry run fish for the punters yeah so no the reason i thought i think or the reason i can you're testing my phrases now because you'll get knifed for the money the reason i think i'm capable i can justifiably put myself in that position that's the that's the difference what so i i wanted to set my own not standard but you know like climbing's full of daft rules isn't it you've got yeah arbitrary ridiculous rules that no one understands and even like if you go and do a route or this is aid parlance now if you go and do a route clean nobody cares but mm. you've set yourself this like micro goal that's completely arbitrary but it it suits you or it interests you or it appeals to you or something and so what i've done with this is i've like taken the project and i've looked at how everyone else has done it and i've accepted the bits that i think make a fair rule and i've changed the bits that i don't think that didn't appeal so i wanted to build my own boat because that's part of the challenge and it makes it more of a solo like not that i've gone and cropped it and handed away cheese and you know knocked people back but i've bought it into being our own our own rather than my own but our family's endeavor so there's that sort of side of it but then I think I can justifiably be out there because of all the stuff I've done up to now. So no, I'm yeah. not ocean savvy, but I can be on my own and I can be in sketchy places and I can make big decisions quickly and all that sort of demonstrated. And what you see, if you read all the books, like the Talisker books or anyone else that's done Ocean Rose, what amazes me is people have put themselves in the middle of an ocean with no concept of how they respond under stress or yeah no like no experience of deep underlying threat and fear <laughs> yeah. was it not was it tom mclean or one of the guys where he'd never been on a he'd only been on a ferry like he rode across the north atlantic and he only once been on a boat and he had no idea and and the, the all they had was an open boat with a tarpaulin and a blow up mattress like yeah. i think they had like a 50 percent chance of dying didn't they yeah, and the other, and the other team did die. Yeah. The guys, yeah, the sort of the original guys, the 1800s and the early 19, uh, 1900s and the early 20th century, those guys are a different, yeah, yeah that's a different sport. Yeah. Not they, were like, they were like astronauts, really, weren't they? Yeah. Just casting off with a sextant and an open boat <laughs> and two buckets and all their water in a barrel. Yeah. Like stuff like that. So, yeah, what this is. That, a those are. Those guys, those Cornish miners, and they, 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 they sailed in a tiny little, you know, like a rowing boat all the way to Australia because it had there was a gold rush. It took them like two or three years. And when they got there, the gold rush had finished. Amazing. You know, like, like but all these people were doing yeah. these things long before anyone. You know, like, I always talk about, like, that uh, Hans, is it Hans Lindemann, who, like, kayaked across in the Klepper from the Canaries all the way to the Caribbean in, like, 1951 or something. Yeah. And, you know, people do that now in the, like a carbon fiber, you know, singing, dancing kayak. It'd be like big, it'd be sponsored by Red Bull. But no yeah. one even knows that this guy did it in like 11 foot kayak. All he had was beer and milk. That's all he took with him. <laughs> you know, but he was like, you kept saying that I will uh, never eat Freddie wheat. Yeah, go west. I will make it. That's all he kept saying. He's like a, like a, he was a kind of a, you know, self-hypnosis kind of thing. Right. But amazing what people can, can do. But do you, do you ever have these? So, like, 
So has the boat worked? Have you, have you, you know, do you have yeah. plans and everything, I guess? Yeah, so all this current situation sort of scuffed it. So the plan was to be departing in like a week um, from Canada. So, so you're going. The, so you're going to do the North Atlantic, which is the that, hard man. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So that was the plan up to a month ago, and now it's all up in the air. So I'm not quite decided on, and I don't think I can justifiably decide yet until we see yeah. sort of which way everything falls. But there's two options: either I delay a whole year and do the North Atlantic route, which is from Newfoundland back to Scotland, um, or I, if everything is calm enough by Christmas. There's a route from Portugal to Miami. Yeah. So mainland to mainland. And that's never been soloed. Yeah. So it's just long. Basically. Yeah. But so that's, that's an option to go in the winter, but it's, yeah. it's nice down there. So there's a weather. How, how was, wasn't that some guy who, um, you know, the smallest, I think that was Tom McLean. who had, he had the record. He yeah. doing the smallest, but then there was a guy who sailed from Ireland across to Canada, like in the winter time, in yeah. some tiny, like, 11-foot-long boat or something. But he was so a crazy, crazy Christian, I think. Amazing. Yeah, the, I think I saw some guy trying to do it in a four-foot-six thing. <laughs> yeah. It was just like a box with a yeah. square mast and a really long keel. I mean, he had to sleep standing up. Oh, my God. Right. So, do you ever think there's, this, there's, this, there's a thing in life where the people who really know what they're doing would not do it? Yeah, and it's the people just know enough to give it a go. Don't know any better, you know. Like yeah, I, I, was, I was looking at a yacht, and I was like, "Oh, uh, I emailed this friend of mine. I said, I've seen this yacht. It's like it's only like three grand, and it's like you know, and it's on eBay. And, and what and what do you think?" And he was like, "Well, what kind of yachts have you been on before?" I was like, "I've never been on a yacht." You know? <laughs> yeah, and you want to sail to like Madagascar or something? Yeah, if we're gonna, I'll go all the way around. You know, I'll do the whole, just go the whole hog. Yeah, I. <laughs> I mean, I wonder a lot about whether you, whether one can actually be content and not have to do this sort of stuff. Yeah, have to is not quite the right word, but there's definitely an underlying need of some of this level of engagement in my life. I'd just be nice if you could just be like, "Oh yeah, I took the dog for a walk today." So, have you got? Is it because you got like spare capacity in your brain? Well, that's very generous of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it'd be even more satisfying to find a use of that capacity that aided more than just my undertaking risky activity you mean like making money well that would help yeah or even <laughs> helping society either of those you know furthering the human race the i think we help society by just getting out staying out of the way i reckon that's the... <laughs> <laughs> inspiring a generation i've gone by newspapers for old people i yeah. have this thing i have this thing about um i think today i tweeted that um uh, uh, unhealth was it? Un uh, fast food is bad for the body, and fast uh, uh, information is bad for the mind, or something like that. But um, like I got this thing about never consuming any news, or never consuming any newspapers, and it, my happiness level is like magnified massively. But I seem to end up having to buy newspapers for old people at the moment. <laughs> they have to go to the news. I have to go to the newsrooms every day, get all these newspapers. And old people read a fuck of a lot of newspapers. It's amazing. Like, can, can you get me the Guardian? Get me the Irish Times? Can you get me the? the wow. It's like, like, what the hell are you doing with your day? Just sitting watching the reading all these. Yeah, it's definitely an inside life at the moment. <laughs> Not having all that stuff in your mind, but your capacity. It's like having loads of fifty screens open on your computer. If you only yeah, got the one, that. which is growing 
the Atlantic. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. It's filling the background noise. Yeah. Hang on, we've gone a bit broken up here. And what do you think about like, yeah, you, what, you, you got, Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Do you, do you ever do you like wake up in the middle of the night and you're thinking about desalinators and things like that? Yeah, yeah, obviously. I mean, that's just any healthy adult in his mid thirties, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know when, like, when you're out in the garage or you've like you can't fix something or you come in. Yeah, my mood tends a lot on what is and isn't functioning and what has and hasn't worked that previous round. Like if you've broken something yeah. or if you can't work out why it doesn't, like the classic, why the bike doesn't start. So the, yeah, that, yeah, I run pretty tight on that stuff, but uh, that's fine, isn't it? Someone said, what, what did um, Patton or Napoleon do when there's no wars? Like what, you know, what, what do these people do? And maybe you're one of those people where really you should have been involved in a, a war or some, yeah. you know, or some huge. Yeah, I don't know. I always wondered that. I always wondered about the Dean Potter household. Like, how do they function on the downtime? Yeah. Like, guys like that that run so close to the wire the whole day. Yeah. They then go home and do the washing up. They're just totally stoned, I think, most of the time. Okay. Yeah. I think a lot. I've never tried that option. I think a lot. I think I've had a window into the lives of some of those people, and they're. Um, they're uh, inc- you would not want to be them. Like they're incredibly dysfunctional, um, a cl- to a clinical level. I think, yeah. you know, like especially. I th- I'm always really wary of Americans who, who have this kind of Zen, kind of Buddhist kind of thing, because it always reminds me. I think someone said, "Scratch a hippie, find a Nazi." Um, <laughs> you know, it's all about money, basically. They're they're talking about you know. You know rainbows and you know yeah. unicorns, but they're just, they're just they've got like fifteen houses they're got mortgages for, and they're you know they're selling meth on the back of back. You know they're it's it's, it's not it's not what you think it is. You know, okay. so it's, someone said that about Uli Steck. So Uli Steck, you know, so he died was it three weeks yeah. three years ago, and you know, and I think he you know it's hard to it's hard to know. I think he's it's very hard if you're on this constant treadmill of what next. Mm-hmm. You know, like Neil Armstrong was the only man in history, probably, where no one asked him what's, what is he going to do next. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But um, it's, it's some expectation, isn't there? As soon as you perform like a dancing monkey, because you'd be halfway across the Atlantic and you'd be thinking, "Oh, the Pacific! I'll do the Pacific yeah. next." Yeah, no, I've got some ideas, but I'm not allowed to talk about those because it's a brownie points game, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> this is suck, suck the barrel, so we have to get this one done and earn some brownie points for the next endeavor so we don't talk about the future <laughs> i can't see me doing more than one ocean like i get the feeling after two months of the same thing every day you don't need to do the same thing every day again but yeah i might be wrong it's actually very simple isn't it yeah yeah that does appeal like and but it appeals in a funny way because like if you can sort of and you might be the same like if you imagine how a wall is going to feel you basically know now having done enough of this sort of activity you know how your mind's going to go like day one to day three and then what you're going to miss and what you might want and all the rest of it you can almost like i could sit here now and i could map out the emotions that will be due and when they're coming and what they'll mean and all the rest of it because it's it's almost prosaic at this point whether you do it or not 
yeah it's just been yeah there's something about the planning and prep that fills me enough that i don't have to worry about it and then the actual undertaking it's only and we used to say this about climbing a lot that what it really does is it gets you to a point where you have to make decisions that feel like they've got value so you invest a year of your life planning a trip to pakistan or whatever and you get there and you can't i don't know the roots out condition or well like the troll wall trip you drive you spend six months buying kit and planning and earning money you drive for four days and you get there and it's out of condition and you turn around and come home yeah but you've had the opportunity to get yourself into a position to make a decision that you might make once in a decade in terms of intrinsic value to yourself. Yeah. And I don't know why that's satisfying or useful, <laughs> but, but that seems to be the only aim that you can have with it. Cause you can't aim for it to be a success. Yeah. That's naive. Like I still give myself, I think at best a 50% chance even though I've managed to build a boat in a year and get ready, like, and I'm fit and I'm healthy and all the rest of it, it's still 50-50. And yeah. I could care less whether it works or not almost. Yeah. But if I get the chance to make these decisions, then it will have been a success. Yeah. I, I, I like this idea that, that no no climb or event in your life is in isolation. You shouldn't, you shouldn't think of it, you know, as like picture frames. You should think of it as one continuous event in a way yeah so every, every every summit leads to another summit or leads to something else another summit something something completely different yeah but they're all they're all connected but if you always live it live in this way where you're thinking you know i'm you know what's next you know it's this yeah. really rigid uh you know i, I didn't get to the top and rah, rah, rah. and it's good to get to the top of these things eventually but but it's all that you know i think there's that really good thing i think was it seb Coe or something you know who's like i think you had like the world record for the 400 meters in um, Oslo, I think it was. And he said that, you know, he, when he did it, when he brought this record, he knew there'd be other records he would break in the future and he would do even better, but he never did. But he only realized this like 10 years later or 20 years later, he was looking back from the valley up at the summit of, of his yeah. of his life. But really it's, 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 it's not good to think, you know, that was that awful thing. Like what if you've already had the best moment in your life? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. a, you, don't want to, you don't want to think like that. Cause, no, cause that it's, because they have all these different kind of, um, you know, sh shades, you know, of experience. Yeah. You know, often yeah, the worst so. things are, are are quite good in the end. <laughs> yeah, usually they're usually the most interesting. But that that sort of stuff, we've been struggling because if you go like, well, so my work's been my main sponsor for the boat, and so obviously I'm talking about it a lot at work, and we work in quite a big company. So you talk to people you never talked to before, and the first thing they say to you is, oh, "I couldn't do that." yeah and you're like yeah no i know you couldn't that's fine but you have to sort of tone it around like i've been trying to work on a way to describe it like the classic like couch to 5k that anyone can do takes anyone from never exercising like six weeks and they can run a 5k so if you imagine putting in like double that effort every day for 18 months yeah like, as a runner you could yeah. be an amazing runner yeah yeah and then if you did that building on having done it for 10 years, and it is, it's that cumulative experience. It might not be relevant, but it's similar. Yeah. And then you, you put 2,000 hours and 18 months of your life into it. 
Oh yeah, so we so we were talking about like when when I, I interviewed uh, Jim Harrington and right in the middle of it, this old woman turned up uh, like was begging for money. It was like like sorry, love, I'm in the middle of something. Um, so yeah, we, we I basically were talking about like the you know the ten thousand hours thing, weren't you? Really? Mm. Is yeah, that, I think so. Is a lot of people do. Some people do seem to be able to just off the couch do like incredible things. Have you read Have you read the the um, Goggins book? Yeah. Um, that wasn't off the couch. No, no, no. Yeah, he was ten thousand hours deep into a variety of things. I think that's that was that's the difference. It's like the inter- go on. I think the interesting thing about Goggins is is he kind of I'm surprised he never went into into his book, but it basically turned into this like a total asshole, like his father, mm-hmm. like um, like a crazy person, really. Well, he didn't go into it because he wrote it. Yeah, who's <laughs> was on his like third wife, and uh, you know what happened to all these women and children, and yeah, I did feel that was a shame in that book that there was a daughter that dis- like just got a one liner basically. Yeah, yeah, it didn't that side of it didn't appeal. But then, like I read that book, um, and there's it's I won't say it's relatable, but the the things he tries to teach in it, the like the focusing on yourself and self learning and like understanding toughness and that sort of stuff i I didn't feel like i had to learn it yeah i appreciated what he was explaining and it was the methods were for other people like i felt like yeah that hardship and self-awareness is basically what i've been learning yeah in a variety of guises like and yeah it's not off the couch like so one of the things i did and this is blow my own trumpet now but in post climbing in the lake in the doldrums before the rowing I did a. I started running when we moved to this house, just because we're living near the woods now. So I started just running the dog, and I was like, "Oh, what can I do with running? Because I'm not just going to do it arbitrarily without a goal." And I phoned up one of my mates, and I was like, "Do you think I could do the Bob Graham? Like, how long do you think it takes?" From and I haven't really run all, like I can run, but I'd never run. And I was like, "How long does it take?" And basically, I said, "Can I do it in three months? Because I think I'll get bored of running after three months. It's pretty repetitive." Um, so he was like, no, you can't do it in three months. So that was enough to have a go at it. <laughs> Did you um, do it? Yeah. But oh, wow. Someone, basically, someone told me at the end, because I was talking to someone about it at the wedding. I was like, oh, I did it. And, and I was like, yeah, oh, you could do it too. Because you just, you run for four hours, and then you walk for eight hours, and then it really sucks, but it's only 12 hours, and then it's finished. <laughs> and he was like, you, you did that like a climber. Like, you just didn't care. Like, you just went out. <laughs> Knew it was twenty four hours and knew it sucked, and just did it. <laughs> so if, yeah. if anyone's into what the Bob Graham is, uh, go- Google it. It's like pretty, pretty impressive. It's like you just you just go and walk like one leg of it. You think, oh, maybe you do the Bob Graham. You do like a fifth of it. It takes you all day long, and you're knackered at the end of it, and, you, <laughs> and you're like, yeah, Christ. It was, it was an optimistic undertaking, but I, and that was another one. Like you see these like machines that get people around with teams of four on every leg and all that. Yeah. I had four helpers for the whole day and like they shared the shuttle driving. Um, one of my dad and my brother and then two friends um, and they each ran a leg each. Um, and yeah, I wasn't going to do it as this mega event, but I'd also never seen it. Like we lived in Penrith, so I had seen some of the hills, but I'd never run any of it until the day. So it was sort of on site. I just made sure my paces knew where they were going. And I don't think I even looked at the view. It was just, it's again, it's like, I'm really bad at looking at the view. I don't know about you. Like, 
<laughs> you say, oh, you go to these amazing places, and isn't it wonderful? And doesn't it look beautiful? I'm like, I, I, yeah, probably, but I'm <laughs> wrong. I'm the wrong person to ask. Like, yeah, I didn't do any of that. There's just some grim sense of satisfaction from, yeah, finishing arbitrary endeavor that you've set yourself, and you've, in, it's another internal view you're looking at. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, but I've seen the back of that pain cave before. Yeah, I don't know why. It's not an interesting <laughs> place. It's just a dark hole. There's that really good bit in the Goggins book where he's trying to get into Delta Force and he's and his guy's like, you're the kind of guy who wants to get captured and see if you can withstand torture yeah. or something. Good old. Yeah. I, re yeah. I remember when we were going to a talk and it was a guy who got shot down in Iraq and he was tortured, like an RAF pilot, RAF navigator. And I remember just thinking like, wow, what an amazing story. Like you came through it, you know, and, yeah. uh, and you know, he was a really interesting character. You know, no interest in you know, writing books about it, but he's, you know, the story he had was really incredible. You know, the reality yes. of the reality of ejecting out of a plane in a, in a war, you know, with, with, you know, floating down into an airfield full of bomb craters and soldiers just been bombing them. And like, really, you know, like you get people writing books about climbing and stuff. This, yeah. You know, it's like, it's really, has, it's got, you know, that, that's real. That's the real McCoy that is, you know, yeah. but it's, um, but no, it does seem some some people just suddenly find themselves in really incredible um, situations, and they seem to be able to. Well, I think most people actually cope really well. You know, mm -hmm. a human being they have this this thing hard hardwired into them. But in a real disaster, you know, when it really is a disaster, they can they start whinging and whining and yeah, you know, complaining, and they just get on oh, with yeah. it really. Yeah, and we're privileged to be making these first world options of suffering, aren't we? We go out yeah, yeah, and look yeah. for arbitrary short periods of suffering yeah. and console ourselves on. Yeah, it's all very random. Yeah, I was, I was living on 500 calories. 500 calories a day for two months, you know, and I finished <laughs> with a big bottle of champagne and all that, you know, a huge yeah. meal. And there's people living like that every day. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't want, like I often wonder or joke that I shouldn't speak to psychiatrists. I don't want to know too much about the whys. Like, because if you sort of knew the answer, you wouldn't have to bother. Yeah. It's all just, you could find some, I don't know, probably drugs. You could find something <laughs> that would just like normalize yeah, think, you. Yeah. I think I could be a really good addict in a different life. You, know, <laughs> you can get into anything, can't you? And it's just finding what flicks the switch that week. But yeah, it's, uh, you don't want to know. You almost don't want to know the answer because then you wouldn't have to do all this daft stuff to find it. Yeah. Yeah, I think you don't when you meet people who've got like an incredible amount of money, you know, they've got as much, you know, more money than like 10, 10 lifetimes worth of money. Yeah. But I've never, I've never met one who, anyone like that who's really, really happy. Their the, the, the problems just change into something, you know, they've got a crack in the swimming pool, you know, there's, there's like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You live but, it, but, it's, means, but I think it is, it is, you know, this, I always say this, it's, you know, this, the stoical thing, you have to imagine less to be happy. Yeah. And I think maybe a lot of people are experiencing that right now. Like they literally cannot even go for a walk. You know, some people. You know, if you're seventy, yeah, yeah. whatever. And uh, I'm sure it will it will pass amazingly quickly. You know, when you come back off a trip and you have, you know, your first piece of pizza yeah. or your beer or whatever. You know, your first gin and tonic. It feels a bit, yeah. you know, but your fiftieth one, you don't even realise you're eating it. You know. <laughs> yeah. No, you've. I've had that conversation a lot the last few weeks. Everyone say, "Oh, so much happier, doing so much less, and the kids are happier, and it's all just calmer yeah. and easier." 
Yeah. They, they weren't last because yeah, because of Instagram basically, weren't they? <laughs> I think I think basically human yeah. beings are like psych, psychotic. I think we live in this sort of psych. We live in like a psych psychotic state of um, you know everything's like a, almost everything's an illusion. But it's only when you really get down to the real when you're in the middle of the ocean. You yeah, know, there's, there's that been no the illusions. Yeah. <laughs> just is, and you do it, and there's nothing else. Well, not nothing else to worry about. That's the other thing about this trip. Like, obviously, I'm ten years on from big trips, and so I'm taking a sat phone and I'm staying in contact with home. Which, well, we did take a sat phone once to Patagonia, but. Like, if it was me in a different, like, in a parallel universe, if it was just me, I wouldn't take any of that stuff. You know, is it Sylvia Vidal? She yeah. goes out to Baffin or whatever. She just goes on her own and comes home when she's finished. Yeah. Like, this modern spin on having to document every movement and trackers and beepers. Yeah. It's, um, it's very arbitrary, really, but it's You're burdened. Well. You're burdened by people who love you. That's the problem. <laughs> well, no. Yeah, so that, absolutely. Like, I will take enough to keep them healthy and happy and calm but like yeah in a different world if it was me making the decisions it wouldn't be as tracked and managed it would just be my endeavor and my you know it's a very selfish thing but yeah you know what? there's a movie called the circle where they oh yeah to, the yeah yeah for facebook is sharing your experience with people that can't and that's part of this vicarious fuel that you can offer everyone because they can sort of live in the moment of it but there must be some i i hope people enjoy the value of that but it's quite it like it, the whole instagram thing this is the first time i've ever really used instagram is for this project and it it the whole thing is a challenge for me that's one of the hard things about this yeah. whole thing i like the social media side of it and the advertising and the the keeping the shiny front on it is not really my forte yeah. performance it is isn't it it's a very interesting uh, tone that you set yourself to. Yeah. But, uh, you have to certainly be careful what you say. You know, you don't want to oh. upset anybody, you know. No. <laughs> don't mention and, politics. And then I saw one of your podcasts, you said 50,000 people. So I'm, I'm checking the phrasing that I'm using now. <laughs> oh, God. But, don't, don't take any advice from me, definitely. Well, no, I'm not. No advice. Just speaking to 50,000 people is plenty enough to temper your words, isn't it? <laughs> I think I think though you have to. I think when people actually hear you speaking, you can get away with things that w it wouldn't work if it was written down. Um, yeah. People like I, I I had an interesting thing where someone I almost like lost someone who was sponsoring me because they thought I was being homophobic until someone else pointed out I was actually being the opposite. I was actually being what's the opposite of homophobic? You know, I have like you know why if someone had known me for like 20 years you know like as some people do why would i suddenly become homophobic yeah. you know like you know if you it's this weird thing where people will um i think we just get so used to reading you know what people what people write and what you know what people say is very very different you miss you miss the uh the subtlety of things so mm. it was interesting yeah. thing so, someone was saying that when when kennedy died um you know when they had the, you know when they had the famous, um, uh, what's his name? Um, you know he announced live on TV in the US like uh, Walter Cronkite. You know the president has been killed, and uh, the story was all these men were in this newsroom and they were all watching the television. And one of them was like, uh, like this is it. This is the end of this is the end of newspapers. Like from now on, everyone 
is going to just be getting the news from the television. And uh, and then he went out the building and he was walking along and he saw there was like lines of people just queuing to buy newspapers. And he said, unless you read it, it's not real. You know, so and it, I guess it's kind of there's a, an interesting thing of um, social media where people are getting this sort of my, condensed, you know, you know mm. there's no it's condensed down to its raw element of just good or bad angry happy um you know long long form you're, you're gonna do like the ultimate long form <laughs> essay yeah you know, just, essay. yeah you know yeah. The, all that stuff will mean nothing you know how yeah. many followers well, you've got and it does doesn't it really but it's there must be some there's some incredible value in it that's the confusion for me still is you know yeah i guess, I, I guess yeah I well know. well you know taylor swift's got like 100 million followers yeah, yeah, she you, can monetize it faster than my nine hundred will. But do you want to be? Do you want to be Taylor Swift, really? <laughs> That's a question for a different podcast. You, you want go and read Nicki Minaj's um, lyrics to Anaconda, you know, and then decide if you, you know, what what what's the value to the world and the universe of being famous, you know? <laughs> True. No, I'm certainly not questioning fame in any stretch. Um, there's but really, but you're but you're on the you're on the wild. You know what you're about to do. You're on the wild frontier of you know, like a lot of people who are super wealthy are actually now instead of buying a Porsche or you know buying a jet, they're rowing across the Atlantic or they're climbing Everest or they're doing the Marathon de Saab. And I think people that I think people have realised that you know that those things are easily bought. You have to actually mm. do them. Yeah, I guess that's satisfying. Like I have always aimed for that sort of stuff. Is that well, like part of my, I think my early years climbing ticklers was always built by what other people thought was hard or other people thought was cool. So, you know, someone says, oh, uh, like the marmalade is hard because no one can climb it in a day. And this is when you're punters learning at school or whatever, learning at uni and everyone's like, oh, 20 pitches is impossible. So that goes on the list. Yeah. Then you get to the valley and then someone says, oh, you can't climb this clean or you can't do that in a day. And you're like, oh yeah, or so those sort of stuff end up on the list. And yeah, there's some simple. There's a simple way to make a tick list of what other people write down as impressive. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I'll just go and do those because they must be worth having. Head, head what they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that helps. It's all very yeah. Building up these the justification for these things is. Did you collect? Did you collect things when you were a kid? Did you collect loads of like toy soldiers or line them all up or anything like that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like played a lot of Warhammer as a young teenager, <laughs> um, and we're just I'm just training the four year old to get back into it. So that's uh, yeah, it's not lead anymore. Mm, <laughs> no, I know, no, but I've, they made out of plastic now. They're all made in China, probably. You can still lick the paint off the brush. So <laughs> you get your dose. Um, yeah, definitely lining things up and putting things in places and neat and square and tidy away. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so, the thing is, you're like you're trying to find order in in something which is complete chaos, like the ocean or a mountain. Yeah, or... but, then, but then why would you choose chaos? <laughs> why would you just choose something that's really neat to start with and tidy it up? Yeah, I don't know. yeah. There's something more. As I don't. Yeah, we're definitely some way down some spectrum or other that. Yeah, this is the at the justifiable route. <laughs> but, uh, do you think? I, I think, think that's why aid climbing appealed as well. Aid climbing is very prosaic, isn't it? It's very. It's, you're crafting like a solution. You're not 
necessarily being athletic or freestyle. There's no yeah yeah. There's nothing out of control in it. It's hyper control mechanics. Yeah. And then, yeah, you're just you're forming like small solutions that sum up to this massive puzzle. And I think that, I guess have, that appealed until it was. I don't think I could do it again. I don't think I could go back to it. I don't know how you can still do it. Like, <laughs> I picture some of the cruxes now, and I just think, like, it just turns my insides. Like, I, I do wonder if I could ever go back and repeat what we did at the time. Yeah. Because Vanessa, because I did um, five, like five walls with my wife Vanessa, yeah. and the first the first wall we ever did, we did the nose in the winter time, and she'd never literally she'd do much she'd do mad up a rope once at a climbing wall. She had no experience whatsoever. And it was a crazy, it was a crazy. There was like four of us, three of them had never done any anything like that before. Yeah. But um, but then and then the last route we did, we did um, uh, tribal right, you know, which oh, yeah. got some quite hard hard pitches on it and she was leading you know we like swapping leads and she at the end she'd like oh i'm over it now like i don't i don't want to it's just it was just too scary you know yeah. it was too scary for too long and um and i was like oh i don't really feel like that i could i could keep doing it a bit a bit longer because <laughs> I, I don't really i find it really scary and uh but you think you, you think you'd get better you know people have the illusion that you're not going to be scared like someone said Oh, you only need like fifteen bird beaks on that route, and you probably need about thirty. And so you had this this terror, you know, of like I'm running out of bird beaks. I've got miles to go. I don't want to go and oh, take any out. Yeah, and the, yeah. the anxiety of it. And I was like, why? Why can't I just be like Jim Bridwell and just be like, hey man, I'm going to take a big fall here. You know, yeah. I'm just going to back clean these bird beaks all the way. <laughs> oh no! Imagine back cleaning is the scariest thing you can do in life. But you don't think that people. Maybe you have to do that. Maybe you have to pretend, act like the person people think you are. Yeah, well, yeah, there's part of that in everyone, isn't there? Yeah, there's some bravado. It's just when it catches up with you. Yeah, hold you the line till you, you can't. Don't need to sleep for a week, do you? Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> I have to do it now. Yeah, that's. Um... Yeah, I don't think I've bitten off more than I can chew this time, though. At least in terms of, like the, I'm not worried about it. Like if. If tomorrow I was I had to go and climb tribal right, I would be worried. Yeah. But this one I feel like I've got it squared away enough that I'm not worried. I'm just going through the motions now, which is how it should feel, I think. I I used to have this I used to have this technique where I would imagine you know if you just keep yeah, if you just keep on going, if you can cope in that second. Like I find this at the moment really, like, you know, you're not you're not starving to death right in this moment, you yeah. know. Like, still alive you know just live 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 like that rather than think stressing about what's gonna happen next month or next year yeah but but when you're in a when you're in an intense experience where you just want to turn around the whole time i always had this thing of this this gnarly old man like fisherman holding on to the is it a tiller on a on a on those little yeah. you know those little boats that go out you know robin hood's bay they go out fishing you know the really gnarly old fisherman with his gnarly hand on this tiller and he would not turn it You'd be going out there into the storm because he was so experienced. He wasn't afraid of the sea. And I would always have this image of like your hand on the tiller. Do not turn the tiller. Just keep going. And uh, you knew from experience you would go out and you would come back. But yeah, if, you were, if you weren't experienced, you'd be like, oh, God, the, oh, the boat nearly went over then. Oh, my God, yeah. the boat's going over. Oh, turn around. I've got, I've got a life jacket on. So... <laughs> So just keep going or, or breaking through the ice or whatever. But yeah. I, 
But building your own boat reminds me. Have you read um, John Tech's book, Cold Oceans? No. Oh, so if you can get a copy of it, it's really good. But at the beginning, he's a fish. He's a fisherman in the Grand Banks, and someone tells him you can't toast the Queen with your feet on the table unless you've been around Cape Horn. So he uh, is Cape <laughs> Horn. That's a, yeah, the Cape Horn. That's one down in uh, Argentina, isn't it? Yeah. So so he um, so he decides to kayak around there with a in a clepper kayak. He'd never been kayaking before, so he goes down there, puts his kayak together, and sets off. And he ends up getting in this huge storm, and he gets thrown out, and, he's, and his shoulder gets dislocated, like while he's like drowning. And somehow, somehow he survives. And uh, so then he, because he doesn't go around Cape Horn, and then he then he comes back again. He meets this guy who's going to sail around Cape Horn, who's built his own boat, his own boat. So he gets in this boat, and they sail all the way down from Canada, all the way down to you know around South America, and they're sailing around in this huge storm. And this guy's the guy built the boat. The carpenter's like, look, man, I built this boat, and I'm telling you, it's it, it can't survive this. It's, it's too much. And uh, the boat's like creaking and groaning. And um, but John Turkey said he didn't want to die like in the boat. So he got out there and he was like holding on to the rigging in this huge storm. And he was like getting the full the full effect. You know, I'm gonna die anyway. I'm gonna I'm gonna experience <laughs> it. You know, like the supernova. I'm gonna get on. I'm getting on the, onto the outside of the starship and see the supernova. And he survived. So then he had this amazing memory where his friend was like just cowering in the bottom, <laughs> probably, probably screwing the screws back in again as they were popping yeah. out. But, That's <laughs> but like, but do you have do you have more do you have more confidence in your in your vessel because you built it yourself? Well, yeah, I think so. I hope so. I, I, I don't know the opposite, but I know that I've done everything right. Like it's the first time I've ever built anything where I've actually cared about every detail. Like normally you can get away with stuff. Like the, the van is perfectly good and it works great. Most of it works great, but it's not like flawless by any yeah. And the boat isn't flawless, but it's built to a standard where I don't have anything to niggle me. Yeah. Because I knew that if I had even a loose cable clip or a bad connection or anything like that a, a lazily made fiberglass panel you name it yeah i would know the whole time so I, and i knew that going in so from like day one it's built above the standard that i need it to be to keep me happy yeah and i know what that level is and i can deal with some stuff and other people would deal with different stuff i suppose and we will like what the reason i can't yet go is that we haven't really had the testing so we've had it out and, and it floats, but I haven't really given it a thrash and I haven't checked that it self writes yet. Yeah. So there's a few like boxes to tick. Not that I'm worried about them, but you just need them crossed off basically. Yeah. So, yeah. The the other justification for building it is you read all the stories, and I don't know, fifty percent of ocean rows either the water maker or the autopilot breaks, and then there's like chaos. What do we do? How do we fix it? all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, well, if you don't know, then should you really be out there at that point if you don't yeah. know where the, where the fuse is or how it's wired or what your options are? Um, so that was why I wanted to build it, so that I knew where every fuse and wire and you name it is and goes and how to fix everything because I put it there in the first place. Oh, super cool. Who's the, who's the famous Swedish guy who builds like the... He's like, he's like 80 now and he builds... You've been around the world and he's like self-built tiny boats. Like, uh, have you ever come across him? Yeah, I think so. 
And he only 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 takes his sardines and out and uh, muesli for like a year. That's all he eats. Well, this is the other thing: is expedition food is cripplingly expensive. Yeah, like space food is like eight quid a pack. It's astounding. So I too am on destination like home bargains to see yeah. what I can make to be because you're supposed to eat six thousand calories a day, which is quite hard anyway. And yeah, if you do that with expedition food, you can spend four or five grand. Yeah, which is that doesn't fit with my idiom of giving money to the hospital and me yeah. eating five grand worth of space food. So yeah, that. Food is a real crux at that point. It's not <laughs> like a climbing trip where you can just be hungry for three weeks. Because this yeah. this guy, yeah, this guy's like, oh, people are so bored. Their lives are so boring that they have to fill it with all this different food. But really, all you need is like one <laughs> one tin of sardines and some an alpen twice a day. Mm, so. No, I need more than that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'll be happy with this. Like I'm the sort of guy that eats the same breakfast every day anyway. So yeah. I don't mind eating the same stuff as long as it's the right stuff. What what did they used to eat in the in the you know, Cheer Blythe and all those people? What did they mm. used to eat? They, tins. they took stoves and stuff. Yeah, I think mostly tin stuff. They did the book is amazing. They did eat a variety, I think, but it must have been mostly tinned goods or yeah. preserved goods at least. And catch fish, I suppose. Yeah. I don't know. In the Lindemann book, there's there's bits where like the dolphin comes along and you're like, oh, there's a dolphin. He's like stabs it in the head, <laughs> just pulls it in, like sucks the water out of its eyes, and then like just drinks the blood and throws it back in. The, it's like, oh god, that's you know, you won't be doing that on Instagram, that's for sure. <laughs> no, no, I'm yeah, I'm not into that. Everyone else, everyone mentions fishing as soon as you say it, and if you do, your deck just becomes an abattoir. Yeah, um, it's just going to be gruesome after yeah, like yeah. the first ten meals of clubbing ocean fish <laughs> like that doesn't appeal at all and plus you're just wasting time basically yeah and you could be rowing and that's the other thing people ask you about like time comes up a lot obviously because people think you're away for two months oh what are you going to do for two months like you must have loads of books and movies and stuff and you're like no, no, no you're missing the whole you're missing the whole, <laughs> the whole point here too and i know like if i took a kindle i could easily read it for an extra 20 minutes a day just as a luxury, as a treat yeah. in the morning. And then, you know, 20 minutes a day is three days worth of rowing over two months or whatever. Are you going to so listen not... to, are you going to have like something to listen to? Yeah, put, that is the one luxury I fitted was speakers and the stereo. Yeah. So it's capable, it's got a big memory stick in, so I can take MP3s and podcasts or whatever. But um, so that is the one luxury. If there's enough power from the solar and the wind, then you can turn that on. Yeah, and I, I am denied about fitting that because weight and cost and all the rest of it. But yeah, it seems to be the you know a bit of it's like having a Bible. You know, in, in another yeah. age, like taking the Bible, but now it's like having Joe Rogan or something. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I'll choose carefully. <laughs> Could listen to twenty four hours of that stuff. <laughs> I know Alex Alex Gamma when he's when he skied to to and from the South Pole, which is like two yeah. two thousand kilometers by himself. Is I think it took like a hundred days, and he he broke the day in the morning. It was school time, so he would listen to like podcast, you know, like audio books about like languages or the great speeches. And then in the afternoon, it was like entertainment. So he'd listen to, he had all the Beatle albums, or he'd have all the Rolling Stone albums, and then yeah. and then on an evening, he would watch watch he'd watch one episode of South Park every day. And he said, you know. You know, where other people were like literally have they had two two sheets of toilet roll 
you know, to wipe their asses on and they had nothing yeah. to read and nothing to. So that kind of, I think that depressurizing yourself is really important. Yeah, I used to listen to music when I was solo a lot, like climbing, one headphone in. Yes. Yeah. I think this is, again, like when it's filling, it takes away that 5%. It sort of cancels out the space where you could make considerations and long-term thoughts and that sort of stuff. Yeah. It, it keeps you in the moment a bit more, doesn't it? You might get sick of yourself, though, if you just... <laughs> yeah, imagine. <laughs> I remember when I was in when I went to Antarctica. There was a guy there who was like, "Oh, I don't believe in listening to music, and I just I just listen to the sound of the wilderness." And on the very, very, very last day, he had to ski and grab something that we'd left behind, you know. And we were like, "Oh, listen, to, listen to some music." And he put he put these earphones in and skied off. He came back. It was like a religious. Ex- it was like this amazing epiphany. <laughs> like he was in this beautiful place with this amazing music. Yeah. It was like the highlight of the entire trip. So. Um, yeah, I think you can have this kind of really hard, stoical, oh, I'm just going to eat, you know, like like rocks. I'm just going to take a lot of yeah. rocks and eat them. But when you get there, you got it's that, it's that whole thing about your future self, isn't it? You're making, you're writing these checks. It's like, you bastard, why don't you bring an MP3 <laughs> player, you know? Yeah. yeah, there'll be some regrets. There'll be some regrets. I'm not sure which. Probably this, yeah. And do you think, I guess, I guess the thing is on this kind of thing, it's always the small, it's always the yeah. small thing. It's a small leak or it's the... The rubbing seam or something that's gonna oh, yeah you know that's... Right. it'll basically be the hole in your backside that'll be yeah. most of your concern <laughs> um yeah like that sort of niggles obviously we've all dealt with to some degree so that they'll come and go but yeah there will be there'll be something i think it might be in the sleeping system i just get the feeling that because of the cabin that i built in this boat you step in on you step onto your bed so if you step in it, you'll get wet every time and i haven't yeah. quite and the north atlantic is notoriously much wilder and wetter so the southern you can see like you could justifiably you could probably get in dry most of the time the north not so much and that transition to a damp sleeping bag for two months i haven't quite rationalized yet what kind of sleeping bag have you got i bought a <laughs> I bought the most bargainous square synthetic thing that I could find because weight's like weight's an issue, but it's not the issue really. Yeah. So this thing's, I mean, you don't have to pack it. So it's like 25 quid synthetic square cut. So square feet, because I didn't want to be in a mummy bag for two months, especially with sweaty crotches and bums and those sorts of things. So it's square and it's rated to like minus six. So it's, it's like, it's like a thermos top and bottom made out of synthetic right. insulation. Bargain. Absolute bargain. 25 <laughs> Caravan. Caravan sleeping yeah. bag. Like the cheapest of the caravan sleep bags, but thick. And so yeah. that, and I put a multi-mat to a 14 mil ice uh, foam mat. Have I gone for that? Because I didn't want right. to sleep on like big foamy cushions. But you yeah. see a lot of people put foamy cushions in, but then they're covered in polyurethane. They'd just be like horrendously sticky the whole thing yeah so if you thought about using like a like a like a like a buffalo sleeping bag on the or like a fiber pile bag on the inside yeah i think that could well be an option i mean it won't it'll be warm it'll be hot in the cabin that's oh thing. yeah yeah it's more like a drape than it is anything yeah i don't know it's only a couple of months isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you'll sleep but you'll be knackered so you just yeah you just sleep. fall asleep and plus, yeah. if it's you can't make it like if you made it crisp and super comfy, why would you go and sit in the spray in 
in the rain for 12 hours when you could have an extra half an hour yeah in really luxurious comfort so it should be it should be equally as uncomfortable as the rowing seat i think yeah so that it's just <laughs> there's no transition between them in terms of joy are you afraid of sea monsters or you know no no <laughs> i don't think so I'm, so there's a really cool clip someone on the southern they they did a route to french Guiana from africa and there's a clip of him and he's suckered his gopro on underneath and he's you have to swim underneath now and again to clean the barnacles and muck off the bottom. And he's he's got a window cleaning sucker and he's surfing upside down on the underside of his boat while it's whipping along in a downwind and while he's cleaning this bottom. Really? To me. Like, if I can get that shot, I'll be made. Like I'll be so happy <laughs> if I get to upside down surf the boat on a downwind leg. I mean, that just That, to me, just looks amazing. I did a bit of free diving like a few years ago that was another one of the fill-ins like arbitrary fill-ins because you can learn a lot quickly but there's not actually much to learn with free diving because you just hold your body breath, breath. And <laughs> so it didn't last too long but when it did it's pretty exciting um so i've got a rough idea of how to be underwater for a period um so that will i want to use those skills that's i'm quite looking forward <laughs> to that thing so if you if you didn't row at all once you got out from the land do you just kind yeah. of drift and get yeah. blown over there anywhere yeah, some dude, a uh, French guy in his 70s did it in a barrel this last season. Like, <laughs> he built himself a four-metre by five-metre barrel with um, a bed and a rally car seat in it. Yeah. And nothing else, a hatch at the top. And he floated for, like, I think 100 days or something from Antigua yeah. to the, uh, from the Canaries to the Bahamas. <laughs> so, beat, you beat the other guys that were rowing, like, super fast. Yeah, you, you see some soloists do 90 days. I think there was a pair this year was close to 100 days. So, you know, it's just a bit of luck. Yeah, <laughs> so downwind. It's downwind. These And the boat I've built is, to get into the detail of ocean rowing, that you can get boats with equal height cabins front and back. They're yeah. traditional class, and they've got a deeper V-shaped hull. So they sort of sit in the water, and they don't take as much windage. And then my one's got a huge relatively huge cabin at the front and the the naysayers call it a spinnaker cabin because it's there to catch any downwind draft that you've got and the bottom shaped more like a surfboat surfboard so it sits on top there's very little drag massive front cabin tiny back cabin and it just takes the downwind and runs with it right so they, they just don't go into a headwind it's like it's all stopped if the wind is around yeah um, you've got like a big parachute you can put out and it just acts as a drag anchor and slows you backwards um but yeah they're designed to go with the wind and you just sit on the prevailing and that's why the northern route works in the summer and the the equatorial route works in the winter and that's maybe we'll be doing this all the time to go on holiday soon you know when there's no yeah, players that's it. No, i'm off i'm off to the off to the miami i'm just i'm going down to portugal and i'm gonna row across i'll be back back in two years like <laughs> across and then cruise up the eastern seaboard and come a, come back across the north in the summertime. Well, that's what, like Hans Romer. He was the first. I don't know if you know about Hans Romer. He was the first person to cross the Atlantic in a kayak before after right. this after the First World War. But he only went. He only kayaked across because he wanted to go, move to America and get work there. And um, he went from Port. He went from Portugal and he but he died. He dis, he got to the Caribbean and he died. He disappeared like in a in a hurricane. So, <laughs> so but you know, but these. But like you know, these people, like you know, the the uh, Polynesians in their dugout yeah. canoes crossing the, you know, the Pacific Ocean, questing you know. for New Zealand. 
Yeah, amazing. Uh, no, it's nothing like that. It's definitely not as amazing as any of that. It's just, <laughs> it's just a daft way to spend a couple of months. But um, and then, and are you going to sell your boat when you get to the other side? Have you got a buyer? Well, no, but there's a, a surprising market in secondhand product. Um, yeah, because there seems like the Talisker race this year had something like twenty six or twenty eight in- entrants, and there's probably ten or twelve independent crossings as well each year. Yeah, various ocean and most of them, not well, most a uh, large percentage of them are British or at least Northern European. So it seems to be that there's enough market to keep them moving around. And yeah. I don't really need much value out of it. Like I'll be able to sell it at the bottom of the market and still make a profit on it. Yeah, because if I went out to a shop and bought or went to the boat builders and bought this, it be might even be worth 80, 85 grand. Right. So if I can take the 25 I need out of that, then that would be like, I'm not going to try and rip anyone off for it. And uh, where do you get the plans from? If anyone, anyone listens to this wants to build their own ocean-going yeah. rowing That boat. was quite a quest. It wasn't an easy thing to find. There's basically one guy. Well, there's a few ocean rowing boat designers, but there's one chap's designed about 80 or 90% of the fleet over the last 30 years. Um so it was just a game in finding his contact details. And um, I don't want to spoil it for anyone. If you <laughs> do want to do it, then that's part of the sport, isn't it? Um, yeah. And I managed to get hold of him. And serendipitously, at the same time, there was a father and son in Bulgaria had asked him the same question. So we split the cost of the plans. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Small world. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they built one too. And they were hoping to do the same route as me. So... Perhaps our stars will align eventually, but yeah, um, yeah, it is doable. And then, yeah, you just go out and learn the rest of it. So you get on YouTube like you do for anything else that you want to learn. learn yeah, have the glass and learn about marine electronics and everything else in between. <laughs> yeah, when and we, then when time. We... You have to yeah, learn time. to find the time. Yes, yeah. I think that's well, I, I, it's the other novelty to us. It just seems like it's what we do, but um, I think people are surprised that we can live the life we do and achieve that in a year. Like, but we, I think we live quite, um, well, I do anyway, you can cut out a lot of the slack basically, can't you? So if you want to find a thousand hours to build a boat, you just don't do anything else. <laughs> just get it five hours earlier. <laughs> well, that does help. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but then, yeah, like the kids started sleeping through, I suppose start of the project or near about so that helped or the last of the children sloping through but basically you i worked on it two to three hours every night and five hours every weekend night um without fail but what i found because like i work a full-time job and we've got four kids so you can't start before the kids are in bed because that's not fair on anyone and then you still have to do the washing up and stuff. So you've got to fit those in. So they, it gives you, or it gives me like 7.30 till 10.30. But you don't really, if you've done a, if you've commuted and done a day at work and come home and done tea bath bed, you can't really function fully at 9.30 on a Thursday night. Yeah. But what you have to have done, I found, is you spend all day like going through the motions of what you're going to do that evening. So when you get out there, you're almost robotic in that you've done it twice because you did it on the commute in and you, your hands are like, there's no thought left. Yeah. You have to solve something when you're that knackered. You can't actually solve it. 
But if you just go out and apply solutions that you've come up with when you're clear headed at half past two, then it actually works all right. And it's, I mean, <laughs> it worked for me, but I think it takes a lot of effort. And, and obviously, is, you, don't, you don't do anything else. And is your wife, is she an obsessive asshole as well? Is she, is she, has that got in her nature? Yeah, she is entirely <laughs> capable and incredibly focused. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> She was. She did an Ironman the year before Heidi was born. So she's. She was a really good triathlete when I was a climber, and then obviously we've got four children. So she's fully committed to that endeavor. Um, last year she set up a sewing business. So she's been doing a lot of sewing. So while I was building the boat, she was setting up a sewing business. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we we understand um, the level of application that we're both capable of. I think yeah it's a mutual cool. mutual understanding yeah yeah <laughs> like and i think as well as long as it's an acceptable endeavor this is the funny thing like say like i'm getting back into painting models and uh airfix kits and warhammer again you couldn't say <laughs> to kate oh I'm just gonna have um you know three hours every day for a year painting models next year it wouldn't <laughs> it wouldn't quite come with the same like avoidance yeah. of every bedtime so there's something about like a socially acceptable and for some people maybe that is like that's awesome get out yeah but like we have it has to be a balance between you of what is a, an acceptable use of your time yeah like, yeah you can do that that's cool and you get on with it but yeah you can't have the luck you can't do the luxury stuff you can't just crank out netflix for three hours <laughs> a night that, that is expect to be supported in your choices I think that is, that is a sad thing in the, the, do you know when you go past the, you know, old people, when I was growing up, you get old people that would build these by hand, build these like steam engines, you know, and they would, they would spend like their whole lives building all this shit that, you know, it was just totally obsessive. But people don't seem to have the time because they're too busy on watching the telly or, yeah. or being on, on the computer. Like I, I'm the, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to, you know, you know what? Because all those kind of stupid things you do, like you've you've basically training yourself to become a, you know, a, a ship a ship builder. <laughs> you could probably build a yacht next. You know, and yeah. um, but you wouldn't be doing that if you were just uh, arguing with people about Brexit on uh, no. on Facebook. No, <laughs> no, but you don't have. You can choose not to do that. You can choose <laughs> not to do that now and forever. But it's a very <laughs> It seems like a very difficult decision to make these days, but um, yeah, you just have to not. Yeah, and don't get thrown like, in. Yeah, I still, I I got to Friday nights, and you can't do anything but lie still. So I, I like I have watched movies in the last year because I couldn't function, <laughs> like do anything else by the end of some weeks. But generally, yeah, I don't do anything. It's the type, you know, types of fun. Like, I don't, as a person, and this is just me, and I'm very jealous of those that can, but I don't really get the type one stuff. Doesn't yeah. really, no. I don't think it is. And type two, to me, is that, like, it's got to really suck and be long and grim. Like, I don't, the sort of, what's fun? I don't know, snowboarding and those sorts of nice things where you just go and have a nice time. On a sledge or something. <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't know i struggle i struggle with the type one stuff so i don't need to do it because i don't actually like I, it's um it's an awful thing that i just 
I think I end up berating myself for having wasted the time when I could be doing something <laughs> I didn't enjoy. It's like skiing, isn't it? Like skiing is so much fun. Oh, but, but but you realise you're not really you're not really getting anywhere. Like you yeah. might be getting better at skiing, but it's what point what point is skiing? You know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's that. So yeah, I, I end up hating myself for not having for having enjoyed something because I could have been not enjoying it, which would have been better <laughs> later. Isn't that awful? Yeah. yeah. And but that's then, but, why you're jealous of people that can. Like, but do you feel? Do you, but do you ever do you ever think it? Like I always think of myself as a very lazy person. But I, you know, like at six in the morning, I'm feeling like I'm having a lie. I've got to get up. I've got to get on with this stupid book, you know. And <laughs> you know, I'll be doing it. To, I could be doing it to like ten o'clock at night. I'm doing like thirteen, fourteen hour days every single day on this yeah. stupid book. You know, you're eating your food in in front of the computer, and uh, like I've illustrated this entire book. It could have I've added a year to this project by fucking illustrating the whole thing. <laughs> I could have done it in a day if it took photographs. But there's that thing in you that's like, this is the hardest thing to do. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to yeah. do it the hardest oh, way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then some other like some other thing goes on and says, like, oh, well, such and such could do it faster or better or longer. Or why do you go to bed at 11? Why don't you stay up until 12 and need six hours sleep? <laughs> but who are these people that we imagine do 18 hour days and parent and all the rest of it like yeah there's some enigma of a thing out there that just berates anyone into thinking they're not doing well enough it's funny because my 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 ex-wife is a um an academic you know it's in university and this week I had this like really amazing conversation with her for the first time since we got divorced a long time ago and she said uh i'm having to work at home and it suddenly made me realize how amazing it is all those years where you were self-employed, having to self-motivate yourself. How did you ever do it? And I'm like, I, didn't, I, never, I don't even think about it anymore. But the idea of just going to work and just probably getting away with the minimum and getting paid at the end oh, of the week. Um, it's, you know, it's a... <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Maybe, so it's better on the other side. Well, yeah, it is, isn't it? It's always grass is always greener. But it's, yeah, that intrinsic motivation only comes with an interest, doesn't it? It only comes if you want to be that in that position. Like I couldn't be motivated to do other people's hobbies or, you know, run for a thousand days in a row. Yeah, just DIY. Work, you? So you're only going to motivate if it's remotely interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's got to be impossible to be worth the worthwhile. Uh, when... for, for me, it does, yeah. <laughs> At least a hint of impossibility. I guess so the, the sooner you, the more you get, when you do these things that people think are cr crazy or impossible, you realize they're not. And then it makes each one kind of falls down like dominoes that, you know, it's almost like a, it's a con that sailing around the world was actually difficult. It actually was quite easy. You're building your own house, you know, it was a faff, yeah. but it wasn't impossible or running your own business or having kids or. I know. Yeah, there's not many impossibles left, I don't think. There's some improbables and very expensive things, but in terms of basic human endeavour, everything's been done. Apart from caving. Well, caving's just hard, but <laughs> the skill set's there. You've just got to go and get lost more, haven't you? Yeah, um, and come back someone's again. Someone's been to the end of that thing. Yeah, like the cave, the cave divers where they dive in and bivy like three times and they're diving for like three days in a row. That stuff is... Yeah. Cool. That's... That's almost improbable. Yeah. Not possible.
You're on a different planet. I think if I lived in Yorkshire, I've always said that if I was if I lived in Yorkshire, I'd be a cave diver. It does appeal. Yeah. Very, so that's very Duxton Row, isn't it? It's very squared away and not actually sighting because it's all pre-planned and it's all yeah. just application of skill set. Yeah. Tick all the boxes yeah, that could be ticked. So that's where these that's these arbitrary rulings. That's the build your own boat or the climb without a hammer or whatever it is that makes it hard for you you've got to make it a question mark when you like i don't yeah. like doing the stuff that's certain it's got to have a in question and if it doesn't then you can make it harder or you do it with a child on your back or you, know, <laughs> you can you just make it arbitrary so it's it's a question mark again better than building a boat a, 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 a duck house or a bird house anyway so no. yeah no that was this week's game was building a chicken hutch so <laughs> So I guess we'll 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 have to. I'll get back to you when you've uh, when you've come back and we'll find out how it all how it all went, shall we? Yeah, yeah. It could be could be a year or more. But yeah. Stay in touch. Yeah. <laughs> this is all over. It's well, it's been great. Been over, it? It's been great. Uh, great talking to you. You got some good. Uh, Thank yeah. You. I think you. I think you're going to be. I think you're going to be fine. It sounds like you. It's been an amazing experience. Anyway, I'm very jealous. I want to. I want to build the boat now. Yeah, get after it. I'll give you the plans and the uh, spreadsheet, <laughs> and you can just get to it. Yeah. Cool. Vanessa, I'm building a boat. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just need 21 feet. 21 feet, right? Go find a shed. <laughs> okay, Pete. You. We're gonna we're gonna finish this just before the internet completely dies, though. Yes, I know. <laughs> All right. Have a good night. Awesome. Cheers, cheers. Bye. Save big on brunch for mom. All in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.